Hello, and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 195, The Good and the Bad of War. Last time, on September 16, 1943, Pappy Boynton became an ace, officially, as far as the Marine Corps was concerned. And as Pappy and his squadron had 11 definite kills that day, the American people had their next hero. The newspapers made a big to-do about Pappy only being the third Marine pilot to down five or more enemy planes in a single encounter. Good times were here again. Even better, Pappy's professionalism lingered when they got back on the ground. Gathering his men, he asked them what they had learned and what would they do differently next time. When the squadron broke up for Chow, the men were confident, joking about the size of the Corsair compared to the Zero. Yes, it was a metaphor, and these men had a growing confidence in their leader, a priceless commodity in war. The Munda airstrip, located in southern New Georgia, along the left side of the string of islands that made up the Solomons, was the Black Sheep's home for the rest of the month. Yes, they had an exciting day, but there was still work to be done. And it's probably best that the pilots and ground crew were kept so busy, for their accommodations were anything but plush. Boeington, the squadron commander, lived in a 16-foot square tent with three other men. And the flies, there were always flies. But not to be outdone, the odor from the jungle, with its heat and humidity and moisture, and the dead enemy bodies around. The result of this being when the airstrip was retaken by the Allies. That smell was equally omnipresent. When in the air, and this turned out to be not the most tense moment of their time in September, the pilots, but not the ground crew, had a chance to get away from the four-foot-long lizards, the large rats, and the dust from the coral nearby, which got into everything, like sand in the desert. And last, but not least, the bombing by the enemy, trying to destroy or retake the Munda airfield. Humans have proven that they can adapt to almost any environment, but there is a limit. The next day, September 17th, Pappy called the men together again, as they were to be busy for the next few weeks, literally every day from sunrise to sunset, the leader did not want the pilots to forget a few things. He told them, as the days go by and your brains get foggy with fatigue, don't forget that an enemy plane that is a thousand yards away or more cannot hurt you, so don't panic and fly crazy, wasting gas. Stay calm and have a plan, preferably even before you get into the cockpit that morning. Instincts, not thinking something out in the middle of a battle, is best. You simply won't have time for that. Now, the pilots knew that some of them, hell, many of them, did not have his experience or the time in the cockpit like he did, so their instincts would be less developed than his. But they trusted him, and through that, began to believe in themselves as pilots. As stated, the pilots of Black Sheep were to be busy for the rest of September, much of it with boring escorting missions, but those bombers got through. The pilots, taking their cue from Pappy, quickly got bored of this, but they knew it was important, so they stayed vigilant. Which does not mean that there was not time for a smoke break, 
you know, while flying in your Corsair, thousands of feet high. And that's exactly what Pappy was doing. Yes, this flew in the face of regulations, but it was better than nodding off or missing the enemy altogether as they approached. Whether showmanship or boredom, Pappy found a way to light up while up there. But soon the men began to watch Pappy even more when he smoked, because the moment that he threw that cigarette butt over the side, it was time to strap in, because Zeros were surely on their way in. Yet overall, at least in this stage of the war for the Solomon Islands, there wasn't much active combat. The black sheep had a hard time finding someone to shoot. An example of this was in late September, when, on the 23rd, Boynton and three other pilots were told to fly over and around Mono Island to see if it was safe to land there with a few PT boats to pick up some downed pilots who were shot down and hiding out. Now, right below Mono Island, itself just below Bougainville, is an even smaller Sterling Island. The Japanese had an airfield there as well, so it was hoped that this reconnaissance flight would bring back information about the men and, hopefully, how to take or neutralize that airstrip. The information was gathered and sent to the planners. But as the days went by and the pilots went up, four or five times a day each day, the planes began to register their complaints by breaking down. This played itself out by a pilot jumping into a plane only for it not to start. So the pilot climbed down, went to the next plane, and started the process all over again. This was done until an engine turned over and the pilot was satisfied it would keep him in the air, at least on this day the number of serviceable planes began to shrink. Still, there were times when the pilot would find a fault with the plane only after it was up in the air, or worse, during a dogfight. More than a few times, the pilots returned not as angry as they could have been because the tough plane brought them back alive, despite its new bullet holes. Getting back to the nights, they were anything but restful, as Japanese bombers would attack in the wee hours. Now, by this stage of the war, the Japanese Empire was fighting a defensive war, so the bomb raids that came over were only carried out by one or two planes. It was more about keeping the black sheep from getting any rest, and this was working brilliantly. Tempers flared, fists were raised a few times, and Pappy watched as all his work was coming undone, which is exactly what the enemy wanted. So Boynton decided to take this local victory away from the Japanese. Each night, Pappy would jump into a functioning Corsair and fly on patrol over the airfield in the darkness. The result of this was that the enemy pilot would spot the lone Corsair and simply turn around, not even making the attempt, which would have at least awakened the men below. This nightmare fortunately came to an end, and the pilots were even more thankful to their commander. The other reason this was important for the squadron was that by the time Pappy went up on that first night, his men had become so frustrated with fatigue that many would not even bother to get out of their bunks and run to the nearest foxhole when the attacks came. Hence, the bombers could have potentially taken out numerous pilots with one bomb with little damage to themselves. But there was one occasion when a pilot, sleeping naked, vaulted from his tent during a raid like he was supposed to. And yet, 
he found when he got to his foxhole not one, but two large rats in the hole trying to protect themselves. Yes, they were eerie, but they weren't as bad as getting blown up by a bomb, so the streaker hopped in the foxhole and fought with the two rats for the next 30 minutes. Better, again, than trying to stand up to a bomb. The man survived, albeit with new scratches, a few scars, and one hell of a cool story. Not that all was perfect with the squadron, nor with their bosses. On September 27th, the Black Sheep Squadron got a 15-minute heads-up that they were to escort 27 bombers to Kahili on Bougainville. The reason they had only 15 minutes to get ready was a communications screw-up. Yes, this was war. It was far from perfect. The pilots were expected to adapt. So the pilots scrambled as the push to the north could not be advanced until the skies over the next target were cleared. Somehow, two groups of four Corsairs each managed to lift off in that 15 minutes to act as an escort. However, two of them had to soon turn around due to malfunctioning equipment. A little after the first eight planes took off, Pappy and three other pilots lifted off as well, which was fortunate for the bombers. Just before Pappy and the other late arrivals showed up, 50 enemy aircraft charged at the bombers. Pappy recognized that the sheer sight of 50 enemy planes could put ice in anyone's veins. So he told his men over the radio, Hey, stay calm. Keep it simple. Pick one plane from the bunch and dive down on it and stay on it until it is no more. Not unsurprisingly, within seconds, the air around the bombers became total chaos. The Japanese, thinking they had the advantage with their numbers, sent some of themselves against the bombers, while others went after the American fighters. Taking advantage of this confusion, Pappy picked a Zero that was heading down and himself dove, getting in behind this target as the pilot had removed any room for maneuvering Pappy just closed in and let off a quick burst from 200 yards away. This plane soon was diving into the sea. The other pilots with Pappy also got their own single kill during this exchange, adding on four more for the squadron, which again allowed the bombers to get through. But it was Lieutenant William Case's Corsair that barely made it home, bullet riddled as it now was. There was bad news upon landing. Lieutenant Walter Harris's plane did not return. Case said he saw that Harris had three zeros behind him, harassing him. Maybe they were too much for him. Either way, Harris did not return. This was the second death in less than three weeks of patrolling, and there would be more lost pilots. The process, after a loss, went like this. A man was lost, the survivors would go quiet, work through their sadness pretty quickly, and move right on to revenge. But it turned out to be a vague kind of revenge. The dead themselves were also pushed to the side of one's thoughts. Otherwise, to think of them too often would keep inviting depression, and the men had a job to do. No, it was to be a short stint of sadness, and then a vague but intense desire for revenge that never seemed to fully fade away. In fact, the current busy schedule for these men was probably best. Experience would show that only the passage of time, or staying busy, 
would help these men cope with the loss of a fellow pilot. Well, the war had plenty of both to offer. As for the actual events on the ground, or in this case, in the air, the next day, two corsairs, while on patrol, came upon an enemy barge, and they let their anger get the best of them, and they dove down to give it a good strafing. The severity of the damage was minimal, but it made the men feel better, and when they went back home and told the other pilots, they felt better. It was one way to cope. As their number of kills was growing, the American press started taking an interest in the black sheep. One such reporter was George Weller of the Chicago Daily News, who arrived in Munda on September 29th. He was looking for good stories, and the Marines' Public Relations Department wanted to oblige. Hence, they handed over several personnel files of the Black Sheep Squadron. One of those files, sadly, belonged to the man who had his hair on fire, Lieutenant Christopher McGee, you know, the one who wore a bandana and silly shoes into combat. It was colorful men like McGee that helped the reporter push out a few quick stories, not that everything he wrote was uplifting. As the squadron was asked to pose around a Corsair, one of the many other heroes of this hour, the pilot slapped on a few more Rising Sun decals on the plane, wrote Baba Black Sheep on the fuselage, and smiled broadly for the camera. But just as soon as the camera flash faded away, the excessive decals were removed, along with the nickname of the squadron. No sense in giving the enemy a specific target to focus on. And yet, Weller just happened to be there to report on the less glamorous side of war. On only his second day, four Corsairs went up for a morning patrol. Cruising just northwest of Munda, four transports were spotted below. Lead pilot Major Stanley Bailey went down for a closer look to determine if they were friendlies. The three other planes followed behind him. Not only were these ships American-made PT boats, but the crew had the presence of mind to give the signal that had been worked out that they were friendly. They would go full speed, turn hard to the right, while waving the American flag. Is this convoluted? Yes, but that's how you guarantee the identity of the other side, or your side, with layered gestures as your signal. The problem came when Bailey radioed the three other Corsairs, but sadly, Lieutenant Robert Alexander did not get the signal and continued to go down, strafing the ships, and he killed three comrades. The PT boats, understandably angry, after giving the signal after all, fired back. Alexander's Corsair started to turn, then smoke arose, and that turn never corrected and soon his plane smashed into Kolobangara Island of the new Georgia group. The plane and man, in their last seconds, cut an ugly gash into the island's jungle. Alexander's death brought low the morale of the black sheep. Not only had the man been a good guy to hang out with, but next to Pappy, he was their best pilot. They would miss him personally and professionally. The next part became more routine as more pilots died. The officer in charge would gather the dead man's effects and separate them into three piles. The first was his personal property, like cash or wallet or watch. 
and the next pile would be non-valuable items like his uniform or photos. The last pile comprised of military equipment. The first two piles would be sent home, but the third would go back to the quartermaster. That is, after the other pilots went through it and took what they needed. And if a pilot did take something from this third pile, then he would throw a few couple bucks into one of the other piles that was going home to the pilot's family. As for all the personal letters, believe it or not, those were burned. Does this sound cruel? Perhaps, but there's no sense in upsetting a family member or a wife back home with information about another girl. The worst had already happened. No use in upsetting the people back home even more. As horrible as all this was, the reporter could not help but ask, how would the black sheep respond to this latest death? After all, September had been a solid month for them. They had 75 combat missions, the enemy had been engaged 60 times, Pappy had six kills, and his men were close behind him. So again, the question was, would the black sheep come out swinging or begin a nosedive of despair? Pappy had his work cut out for him. <laughs> 